Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? We are rolling along, nearing the end of the season. Ethan, how are you doing? I am doing well, rolling along, nearing the end of the season and the end of my uh, college career, I guess, in that regard. So, you know, that's pretty interesting stuff uh, lining up together. But also joined by Noah Furtado. How are you doing today? I'd be doing worse if we didn't do this podcast during peak no hours. So, uh, I don't think it's peak yet. I don't think it's quite it's not peak. peak. No I mean, it's getting there. It's getting. I there. think we got to go another two, three hours for it to be peak no hours. For the record, it's it's eight p.m. Peak no hours don't start until like at least eleven p.m. I mean, the last one was the last one we did was at ten. So I feel like we could say ten is is the start of the peak no hours. I mean, at least the start. Doesn't get to prime peak no hours till probably eleven. But we're nearing it. We're nearing it. Maybe you, you. It's it's a little bit closer than our normal normal time for podcast. But anyways, Cole Cole Bradley joined by you as well. How you doing? I'm good, Ethan. I hope all is well with you, and I hope everything's going good with your uh, thesis and stuff like that. I know you've been working hard on that. Yeah, everything is going out. We're getting to the to the finish line, which is which is uh, good to hear, given how much time I put on it. Hopefully, the finish line is a good finish line and not anything bad but as always let's talk a little bit of football asu lost 28 to 18 on the road against washington state this past weekend asu is now three and seven on the season and two and five in the pac 12 it was the coldest day game at kickoff that asu has played in since at least 2004 at 36 degrees with the loss asu is officially not bowl eligible this season and will have its first losing season since 2016 like a little bit more into those stats, if ASU doesn't win another game in its last two, that will be its worst season since 1994. If it wins one of its next two games, that would match its worst season after 1994, 2001, and 2009 were both uh, the same way. 2001 was an 11-game season, though, so it's basically matching its worst season uh, since 2009 in that time frame. Uh, last century, basically, last 27 years, it's been a while since they've been this bad. ASU in the game, didn't have a lot of players. They were pretty short-handed. Didn't have Kyle Soley, Roe Torrance, Isaiah Johnson, Ladarius Henderson, to name a few. There was players injured during the game. Geo Sanders, Ben Scott, Trenton Bourget, of course. So they were a very short-handed team heading into a cold Pullman. Noah and Chris, both of you guys were there. What were your initial takeaways from the game? Noah, we'll go to you first. Yeah, they were... There were some big hits that uh, we didn't necessarily expect as far as personnel goes. Uh, Kyle Soley, especially not being, uh, you know, in the middle there as the anchor of the defense, uh, I think was a huge hit because Washington State, they they were, you know, getting some good gains through the air, but uh, they also were able to establish the ground game through the first quarter or two. Um, had 210 total yards of offense through the first quarter, and – you know, they were essentially taking advantage of some short fields as well. So it wasn't just that they were playing well. It was sort of paired with um, some deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball for ASU. Um, just some mental errors. You know, with, with Jalen Conyers, he sort of missed a, missed a blitz, missed a block that led to the sack fumble down all the way to the one-yard line. Had to punt it out from there. Gave Washington State great field position. Uh, and similarly, later, I think it might have even been in the second quarter. Uh, the entire first half was not was not great. Great. Um, the interception by Bourget just it didn't help out the ASU defense that was already down a couple of their starters. 
a couple important starters with Torrance and Soli. So, you know, getting those short field opportunities, Washington State was was able to to capitalize and uh, it just didn't set a good tone through the first 30 minutes uh, of game time. But they were able to impressively, I thought, pick it up in the second half, even with some of those injuries that were sustained uh, throughout the first half. When you have someone like Trenton Borgay, starting quarterback, go down. And then all of those other guys you mentioned, Ethan, uh, even without them. Uh, and I think, I believe, Gio Sanders got injured in the second half. Just going from there, they were able to to really pick up some momentum and improve uh, in every facet of the game. Chris, what about you? What were your initial takeaways? Yeah, I thought um, Trenton Borgay probably got hurt on the first sack that Noah talked about there. And uh, that set ASU on a course for a disastrous first half um, field position was calamitous. Um, couldn't think actually gone worse for ASU. It, uh, Washington State turned the ball over on downs in the red zone and uh, missed the touchdown reception. And ASU recovered that the, the strip sack fumble um uh it, it was really an atrocious performance i think Borgay wasn't the same after that hit we saw that pretty clearly in the next couple drives before he got pulled seemed like he was tight and couldn't get his rib cage or or something um in his torso sort of loose and then emory jones came in he of course threw an interception didn't count because of a penalty. I'm not sure if he was aware that Washington State was off- offsides or not. ASU played a lot of man coverage, got its hand on a lot of balls, um, wasn't able to turn any of them into uh, interceptions, though, in, in that first half. And I will say that the I, most people there probably thought that it was headed for a blowout. ASU easily could have folded up shop and, and gone home. Uh game seemed like it was totally out of reach by halftime and yet ASU came out and had a good performance in the second half held the Cougars scoreless scored 18 points did the whole try for two every time and fail thing that was kind of interesting because Sean Aguano um, decided um, it look this has been a this has been a, a mediocre at best season that's being generous probably more aptly this has been a, a bad disappointing uh, underperforming season by asu football we all thought the team would do better i think that coaching has been the biggest limiting factor plus some injuries and some some uh you know, other other sort of aspects that are probably a little bit more random um but uh can't say I'm not I'm not surprised. I sort of predicted going into the game that ASU would probably get out coached and and lose and not cover. And um they didn't cover. You had to get that one, sneak that one in there after being the person that predicted that one. Did you did you like that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you finally you finally got something right on those predictions. So I mean, it's it's good to hear. But you you're pretty right on this one, so that's fair. I mean, I, I'm I'm leading our I'm leading source in picking the game straight up, and I'm 
barely behind in a couple of the others. I know you're doing well against the spread, but I'm barely behind. I may have even passed. Right. I may have even. I, I think I'm not last place in, in against the spread either. So I don't feel like you know that was. I, I feel like all of us are doing pretty well for for picks this year, but especially you because you're special. No, I'm not. I I'm not doing well at all. I I'm just oh, just just living. You know, going going okay. through lessons at some point. But you know, I just, well, you, you know, talk about it a lot. So I thought you know, snuck it in there. It's neat. Hey, listen, hey, listen, man. You know, we all put our pants on the same way every day. One leg, then the other leg, then we put the pants on, then we try the, our best from there, right? Unless we aren't wearing pants for some strange reason, you know. Yeah, I I guess so, and I mean ASU put on their their football pants with with pads uh, to to begin the game, and it and it didn't quite go as planned in the first half. Let's talk a little bit about the first half. ASU goes in at halftime down twenty eight to zero. So as I just said, really nothing went their way. Twenty eight point deficit after the first half. What contributed to ASU falling behind twenty eight nothing, Noah? He already gave a full rundown of what happened in the first half previously. Is it got very granular on the initial takeaways? Then, then we can okay. we can talk to, to Cole about it. Then twenty eight zero. What what can yeah, just to that? go ahead, Cole? I think it started with the two hundred and ten yard first quarter was the big thing. I mean, on top of that, Washington State was really opportunistic with their field position as well. I thought like they they had some chances and you know in short field situations. I think it was either their first or second scoring drive. They started either in plus territory or close to plus territory. So that really helped them out. I feel like a couple of times in um, and outside of that, I think the, I think just their defense's performance was also very, um, they set the tone very early and kept it sort of going in into the second quarter and became very suffocating, I'd say for, for ASU. And it was, it, became very clear that it was going to be hard for them to move the ball against that defense. So I, I think those were the two biggest things for me, but nothing, nothing more outside of what Noah and Chris have said. Chris, anything else you feel like you need to add or you could move on? Well, well, blocking and tackling sort of what football's about. We, everybody in the, in this, fantasy focused world thinks about who gets the touchdown catches and throws the passes and makes the big runs and uh, all the glory thing, if there's going to be a defensive touchdown or not or whatever, but Will Schaefer, you know, difficult situation going on the road, getting a start against Washington state didn't really play that well, but also Merlin Robertson got stuck on blocks, didn't particularly play well. Um, you look at the other side of the ball Emmett Bowley in, in the in the run game, I, I thought um, he had a little bit of a shaky performance. As Noah said, Jalen Conyers missed a block on that on that sack that really sort of set the the whole um, the story of the game sort of in motion. Um, ASU is just not as physical, not as imposing as some of the teams that it faced uh, this season, Washington state is very well coached football team that has a great understanding of what's trying to do on a play to play basis. Uh, Borgay was only three of 10 passing the ball. The guy was like 75% on the season going into the game. 
as I said earlier, didn't look right. ASU wasn't able to get the ball to its playmakers, especially Elijah Badger. Uh, you know, tried early, was not successful. By the time they got some of the things going um, with Emory Jones in the second half, I feel like it was pretty much too late. Um, I, I just, I just don't think that ASU is um, one of the more prepared ready-to-go football teams on a week-to-week basis in the Pac-12. And um, penalties also, again, were an issue uh, from the get-go. There was um, a false start, the delay of game. Like, why are you, how are you getting a delay of game on the second play when you're scripting offense to begin? Uh, to Marcus Davis, I, I hate to, you know, beat a dead horse. Guy goes in on a punt, jumps off sides. Um, and there were, there were other Jordan Clark had a, had a costly penalty. ASU is the most penalized team in the PAC 12, one of the most in the country, if not, I think maybe, uh, most in the power five or thereabouts. And, um, so all of those things that have been present throughout the season were again, very much on display in uh, contributing to ASU falling behind 28. Yeah, so fall behind 28-0 looks destined to be a blowout win for Washington State. But what is there to say about ASU and the team that they continued to fight in the second half? Uh, ASU wins the second half 18 to nothing, So they shut out the Cougars in the second half after allowing 28 points. So what does it say about ASU just to continue fighting in a second half where it looked destined to be a game that they were going to lose by a lot and at least cut it down to a respectable margin of defeat no feels like a guano getting through to the players um perhaps not uh as much as he'd like but some something in in the locker room at halftime these past couple of games not even just the washington state game they had a, a pretty solid second half offensively at least against ucla that uh brought them back within uh, a score down the stretch they, they've been able to to really make some second-half adjustments, uh, take a look at what their deficiencies were in the first half and be able to sort of avoid that a little bit more. I also think just the motivation to come out um, for the seniors, especially uh, one of the, the leaders of this team, obviously, is Xavier Valade, even though he's only been here for a year, less than that, actually. Even this is his first season in Tempe with ASU, uh, he's sort of emerged as one of the, the the figures in the locker room, the locker room guys um, that, you know, all of the other players look up to. Um, there was a, sort of a, a little inkling thrown out there in the postgame press conferences that uh, Valaday, a running back, uh, took it upon himself in the first half, I think it was late second quarter, to, to speak with the defense um, based on what he told media after the game it wasn't anything uh super complex or, or anything like that but it sort of showed his initiative um as a leader not just as an offensive player or a running back to be able to to sort of go and hold his teammates accountable and that that was at least one example of you know how some of the initiative by players not just the coaches aguano included um how they're sort of taking it upon themselves to try and salvage something uh out of this season which has has just it hasn't 
brought up a whole lot of positives um, that you typically want out of a out of a football season. Cole, what are your thoughts on anything that can be taken away from ASU's second half performance? Well, I'll say this team definitely has displayed a lot of uh, a, a lot more passion. It seems like, or they've exuded that a little bit more uh, since Aguano took over. There's just been a lot more. Um, I don't know, just like a it, it, the energy just feels a little bit more heightened. Um, and even though we only saw, you, you know, um, what was it? It was three games with Herm Edwards. I, I just didn't, it just didn't get that same vibe with an Edwards-led team that I've that I've sort of been getting with an Iguano-led team. And a lot of that I feel like has has led to some of these, you know, these second half resurgences. We saw it against UCLA. We saw it this past week against Washington State. And I think that says a lot, not only about him, but just sort of the players on this team. And, you know, a lot of them are experienced like Valaday, like Emory Jones, guys who have been around a long time um, or at least for, you know, a couple of years at the college level who, um, you know, maybe they've been through worse before. And this is something that it, 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 they're sort of trying to set an example and lend some perspective to some of the younger guys. And um, all those factors are at play. But regardless, I do think Iguano has – uh, has played a, a fairly big part in that. And, you know, it comes with him pushing the whole um, Ohana and the family, um, you know, message and being together and, you know, never never quitting on each other and uplifting each other, not bringing each other down. That kind of stuff, I think, really leads to um, responses like this where players actually, um, you know, continue to show to show up and bring their best regardless of the outcome. Um, for all four quarters, it may look it may be ugly at the end of the day, but um, if there's anything that they can hang their hat on, it's that. So, I think there's a lot to be said with all parties involved, but Iguano for sure as well. Chris, what about you? Anything to take away from the second half? Well, look, the players said from me before the season that they really liked each other and that this team was pretty tight knit. Um, and even in contrast to last year or, or prior years where they were, uh, as we now know, better teams. I, I don't uh, – Herm Edwards didn't have any losing seasons uh, when he was the head coach himself. It's hard to really know what would have happened if he would have continued on for the rest of the season. I sort of doubt that ASU would be um, any worse in the, in, in the, the win-loss column than it is right now. So I'm not going to like put too much of this continuing to fight and battle as a consequence of Ohana or, or whatever necessarily. I, I do think that um, Sean Aguano though does have the ability to connect with players and get them to continue to fight and battle. But it's just difficult to project what would have happened um, had he not taken over the program and somebody else done so or her Edwards or whatever. I, I don't know, but I do sort of have a lot of respect for these guys when Kyle Soli doesn't play, Ro Torrance, Isaiah Johnson, Ladarius Henderson, Trent Borgay is knocked out early. Ben Scott goes down with an arm injury and it would be very easy to go, okay, that's it. Like, we're not going to a bowl. We're down 28 nothing and a half. So let's just kind of throw in the towel, call it a day. 
and they, um, you know, literally it's freezing cold outside and they're out there and Washington State didn't score in the second half. So I give them a lot of credit and, and, um, you know, they, they have my respect for that, but that doesn't make you a good football team when you only are able to win halves and not the not be better in the half that you win than the opponent in the half that they win. Still not good enough. They all know that. They've said that after the game and this week. Um, uh, I, I, I think, though, for the circumstances in that particular situation, they handled it well. Geo Sanders knocked out, as I said, Ben Scott. They're playing with, with Ben Bray at center. They got Embry Jones out there. They still managed to find a way to have a respectable overall sort of performance after what looked like a catastrophe. Now, ASU fans aren't going to necessarily remember that when you're three and seven and you're looking at one of the worst seasons that ASU's had in modern history. Um, sort of like, you know, celebrating your, you know, your, when your kid brings home a 2.0 GPA or something, right? Like nobody's going to be doing that. So, um, you know, or worse it's than that. hard to get the 2.0 GPA. You know, listen, uh, Ethan, you know, if you don't do well in your thesis, like if you get a bad grade, I'm still going to love you and pat you on the back and tell you that you're a good dude. But like, you know, in my own head, I'm going to be like, I think it's past this, this, okay, well, I'm going to be like this slappy, you know, it's not, you know, it's not getting it done. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, but at least you're pretty good on the podcast still, fortunately. You oh, know? Sure. So, Always right. But, yeah, but you know, look, look uh, I digress. The point is, none of this stuff actually matters. They're a bad football team, and that's not going to get resolved. And yet, none of the guys who are on the team, I believe, have lost to Arizona. And so they got senior day, don't want to go out looking with an L on senior day, and you want to sort of keep that streak alive. And so the stuff still matters. And also, nobody wants to see Jed Fish dance anymore. I mean, who who wants to see Jed? Who wants to see Jed Fish dance after uh, what he ends like a four game losing streak or whatever it was? And you're four and six, and you 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 know what? If you want some perspective, the perspective would be uh, this could be like Arizona, where you're dancing and you're going crazy in the locker room when you're four and six. You know, that's kind of like probably a bad sign. Yeah, I I always kind of feel bad for people whose name is is spelled in an awkward way because I feel like anytime you say Jed, you have to say with two D's, and I just think that's kind of a, a awkward thing to have to say every time you say your name. But but anyways, that really is besides the point. Well, the extra D probably stands for something. You know, I don't know, but we'll have to think about that. Yes. Okay. Maybe, they, maybe. They, there was a there was a just a little aside here, but ASU had an offensive line coach. Under Dennis Erickson, you guys have probably heard this. His name was Greg Smith, and he spelled his name with two G's. And the Greg Smith, he always used to yell at his players, "God damn it!" And so I started to basically say that the extra G in Greg Smith was for "God damn," because that's what the dude always said. And then you know, so Jed Fish, maybe the extra D is for something. I don't know. Maybe the second dancing. One. Dancing. Dancing. There we go. There it is. It's for dancing. He likes right. to dance. Even oh. when they're four and six. All right. Well, there nice. we go. Look hey, at that. But that was a but that was a nice win. 
for Arizona and, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they've had it pretty rough in recent years. Mm -hmm. So that I get, I sort of get it that you would sort of be happy about that win over UCLA. And on top of that, if you ever question the ability of the Sun Devil Source podcast to work together, we just did to figure out what the extra D and Jed Fish's name means. So here we are dancing. But anyways, uh, you talked about it a little bit there, Chris. Uh, season's coming to an end. There's two more games. Uh, and you start to question no bowl. What is What do these games really mean? Maybe, as we've discussed, Sean Aguano's going for the head coaching job. He's, of course, going to want it. With every loss, it maybe becomes less likely. There's there's rumors of a coaching search and how the coaching search is going down. Every time those rumors have come out, Aguano's still an option. But maybe that's one thing that they're fighting for. And, Chris, you asked about attributes of a good head coach in terms of the next head coach that could possibly come for ASU. And you also talked about what is their play for in these last two games. So I think there was some very important and interesting things that came of those and comments from both Aguano and Donnie Henderson, both, but uh, Cole, we'll go to you first. Season's coming to an end kind of what is there to play for, for this team and what is the feel around the team as well from, from what you can kind of decipher. Well, you kind of said it, Donnie, Donnie mentioned, you know, you're playing for the seniors this Saturday and the state the next Saturday. I thought that was a great soundbite. And honestly, uh, I mean, per, lended pretty good perspective as in terms of the significance of the next two games, especially when your team's not bowl eligible. Um, they're not going to be easy games, but I think ASU would be motivated at least when it comes to the territorial cup, like Chris said, you know, it's, it seems like the entire team or at least most of the team hasn't lost to Arizona since they've been here. Um, and I would think that they would want to continue that run um, at the, at the bare, bare minimum, you always want to beat your rival. So there's always that, but you know, the final home game for some of these guys, again, on, on senior day for guys like Kyle Soley and Merlin Robertson is going to be very significant. They're probably going to, want to try and give it all they got in 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 a game like that especially facing a, as tough a team as Oregon State is I mean it's it's not going to be easy at all but I think they would they would be that much more um impassioned to try and go out there and, and really uh you know end things at home on a high note but yeah I I I think that that's really what it comes down to is is playing playing for for your upperclassmen for your seniors for the guys who probably aren't going to be here next year who are going to pursue their NFL aspirations or who are just moving on from the program or whatever the case may be. And then making sure that, you know, you're, you're able to stay undefeated, at least for most of these guys, stay undefeated against Arizona. Noah, what are your thoughts on the feel of team? Is it possible or there is a coaching search going on? Aguano may be a part of it. I mean, just what are your thoughts on the situation? It's not only the last couple of games for the players, the seniors, or the ones that are going to be, eligible for the draft after this season. It's also the last couple of games, very likely, very likely for a lot of these coaches on staff right now. So with that in mind, you pair that <clears throat> sort of shared motivation and you could potentially see some heightened energy from, from start to finish. Um, you know, they've had some bad starts this past couple of weeks, getting uh, some momentum early could be a good sign of what they're able to cook up uh, between, you know, their motives and essentially wanting to salvage some pride out of uh, a otherwise really, really bad season. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I think. It's just 
as far as the coaches are concerned, it's, it's everyone involved um, as far as coming down the stretch, really trying to make the most of what's left. Chris, do you have anything else to add about that situation? I just think that we're going to see them continue to play hard and try their best. Um, some of the players that we talked to today talked about just being personal pride. Like you don't want to embarrass yourself, your name, you're on TV. Don't want to look bad. Um, you want to always give your best effort because there's value in that in and of itself, irrespective of wins and losses and whatever. Uh, I think that they demonstrated that in probably the toughest situation that they're going to be in all year, which was last week or Saturday, at Washington State. And um, they weren't going to go to some impressive bowl game anyways. What were they going to go to? The the IHOP, you know, House of Pancakes uh, breakfast in Yuma uh, bowl game? Well, you know, on that note, though, imagine pouring pancakes and syrup on your coach instead of Frosted Flakes. That, that, that'd be something. I mean, that's probably like what's next. You know, Noah would like it. He'd, like, he want, he'd eat some pancakes and whatever. I would but, Yeah. I mean, you're going to get like a gift bag of syrup and stuff. I mean, they, they weren't going anywhere. That was that was going to be impressive, right? Um, the bowls, bowl practices to me are more for the, the, the preparation that you get building into the following season for your returning players. That's a lost thing. Um, I don't think that Sean Aguano is, is going to like – it's not like win it so that Aguano now gets the job because even if they do – when the last two games they're five and seven and okay. So you're playing for pride. You're playing for, you know, the respect of the guy that lines up next to you, uh, what you're going to say about yourselves and think about yourselves in, in um, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever. And um, I just want to say on a personal note, like these players have been very accommodating and they've been nice and they've tried their best every single week to to interact with the media as best as possible. They're very respectful. Uh, I, I feel like they're it's a good group of guys. I haven't always been able to necessarily say that uh, about you know some of ASU's bad teams, losing teams. Some of the guys are difficult, pain in the butt, whatever. Um, you know, I, obviously, you know, they use like tweets and things that people said in the off season as motivation. On their, on their, in their weight room and, and stuff like that, and um, yeah, I never felt like anybody there was any sort of personal animosity or whatever. It was you know find the things that you can to try to psych yourself up. Uh, the coaches are all very respectful. Uh, they 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 all engage with us, even the critical things that we say on our podcasts or the, the difficult questions that we ask in the room or whatever. So I I. I'm going to shake all these guys' hands at the end of the season and wish them the best when we're no longer covering them. And as they move on, I hope that they all have success in their lives. Uh, we just, it was announced today ASU has a graduation rate of 87% in football. That's a record. Uh, when I started covering ASU football, that was like it was like a 50-50 proposition whether guys were going to graduate. So, And that there's some administrative component to that, certainly. That I that I I've been very critical about the administration, but I think that deserves recognition. Um, most the vast majority of these guys aren't going to have professional football careers, but they're going to have professional careers in something. 
And I think um, that's that's the most important thing. Like fans lose sight of the mission and what are the 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 the, the reasons that you go to college and you, and all this stuff. And um, for all, this is a good opportunity. I have a senior day and whatever that. Um, you know, I'm always going to enjoy having a conversation with Kyle Soley or Merlin Robertson or any of these guys. And uh, I hope that they all go on to a lot of success in their personal lives. And um, they've represented themselves not well in the win column, but they've represented themselves well in other ways that I think are even actually more important than the win column. Yeah, it's it's important to say that because you get all wrapped up in the season when it's going on. Once it starts kind of getting towards the end here, it's it's good to kind of think about that. You know, there is more than football. And as you said, that graduation rate is super high. So that's really good to see. And as you said, um, there and there, there's more than football and, and they're going to move on to things. But in the seasons to come, there will be more to kind of talk about regarding the football program. So, Chris, in kind of your mind, there's timeline for a new head coach. You've talked about stuff on the board. Uh, we've been covering it extensively in terms of a coaching search. Uh, do you have any idea of how that's going and what the timeline might look like? And and I guess on that note, where Guano might stand in that regard as well. Well, yeah, I think the last part first, I think uh, Sean Guano has a very small chance diminishing of uh, being the, the head coach permanently. Um, as far as the timeline, uh, of course, a lot of things come down to not just when ASU's job opened, but when other coaches are able and, and, and willing to discuss their futures. A lot of them are they're so focused on their seasons and trying to finish things out that they're not in a position where they're ready to consider certain things. There's, of course, the, the, the types of coaches who aren't currently employed. Um, Paul Chris, uh, Bob Stoops, Chris Peterson, and others, right? who would sort of fall in that category that you could maybe have conversations with. It's very important though, that whoever ASU hire um, that get done relatively quickly because you have um, only three weeks from the end of the season until you start the, uh, the signing period. So <laughs> that's, you got to shore up commitments, decide if you want to keep guys and turn them loose uh, who else you want to try to add? If anybody, you got official visits. Um, very importantly, we're going to see, as we always do, a slew of guys enter the transfer portal um, within two weeks, right? So I personally feel like within a week of the season ending, you know, by the time championship weekend, uh, that's sort of when you sh would want to try to target generally having a new coach in place, certainly within a few days of that, no later than a week of that. You should have a head coach. So that's, we're now talking about three weeks away. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything to report on um, who's being targeted. There's a lot of speculation out there about certain guys. Uh, Kenny Dillingham's getting so much talk. Oregon's offensive coordinator. I've known him since he was practically a teenager. He was a assistant coach at Chaparral High School. Then he became a graduate assistant at ASU under Todd Graham 10 years ago. And he's whatever he is, 32, 33 now. He's had a pretty uh, pretty rapid ascent through the coaching uh, ranks as he sort of um, attached to um, Mike Norvell and, and, and um, 
uh, Dan Lanning, who, but we're both at ASU at that time. And um, I've also had even, you know, uh, steeper ascents through, through coaching over the last decade. So a lot of people are talking about him, but that's, I think in large part because he's a ASU grad who was an ASU coach who's from Scottsdale is all these sort of things that are, that uh, there's a romantic appeal to a guy like that, but I can't say where he's at in a pecking order other than I'm sure he is on the list and he's somebody that's garnering a lot of consideration. I made my personal sort of perspective known about the top four candidates that I would try to go after and, the top two are shoot for the moon guys that probably wouldn't be interested in the job. And the number my number three guy is somebody who might not even be interested in the job, although I think that the possibly potentially could be could be compelled. My number four person is somebody that I strongly think would take the job. I'm gonna let people go find that for themselves in the devil's sanctuary. Um, and uh, but I have said in the past from a criteria standpoint, and I'm not gonna go into the the full weeds of this, but basically you need somebody or you really should try to find somebody who has a, a strong understanding of the region, the ability to build a staff and recruit in the region, understand the opponents that you're playing in the region and be able to recruit in the region. And if you can do all those things and then also be able to have a discipline program that uh, also still includes the ability to connect with and motivate young people and understand the challenges that they go through uh, and to be able to relate to them that to me are the things that sort of make for a very good candidate. Um, and um, ASU really hasn't been able to do that with its last uh, four coaches since Bruce Snyder. I felt like Bruce Snyder in the nineties coming from Cal, he uh, had been a, a uh, somebody who understood the game at a, at a, at a high level schematically the region, recruiting, staff building, the importance of the Southwest in terms of your talent acquisition and everything. ASU hasn't been able to find a guy like that who connected with players and also had discipline in the year since. Uh, Dirk Cutter, uh, Dennis Erickson, Todd Graham, Herb Edwards. My sort of uh, free advice to uh, Michael Crow and Ray Anderson and uh, anyone else involved with the search, there's Corn Ferry, which is an executive search firm that's involved, would be make sure that you look at candidates who check all those boxes, you know. And if you if you do that, you're probably going to come up with some some guys who are out, who are currently successful Division One head coaches that uh, have a lot to offer. There is certainly a lot to discuss in these last few weeks of the season and a little bit afterwards. There's, as you guys just talked about, uh, you know, winning the senior night for the seniors and then trying to keep the state against Arizona. Uh, I'm sure most of the listeners are would at the least be happy with keeping the state of Arizona and beating Arizona, as you guys talked about, the players and the team. Uh, a lot of them, if not all of them, have not lost to Arizona. So it certainly is something to keep an eye on and a reason to keep uh, watching this team and staying in tune to all of our content. If there is a time to get subscribed, it's now because there's going to be a lot of content coming your way with coaching. As Chris said, a lot of premium content. If you want to stay up to date to exactly 
who Arizona State's looking at and why they would be looking at him. And as Chris just said, specifics in terms of who the next coach uh, may need to uh, boxes they need may need to check and stuff along those lines makes you stay tuned to all of our content because Chris just said it could be three weeks away that that type of decision will be being made. So stay tuned to all of our content in terms of content, 10 takeaways from Washington State. Make sure to be on the lookout for that Oregon State first look as well. That stuff will be on the site. So We'll still be coming your way for these net last two games, two games we just spoke of, their importance and a premium podcast to preview Oregon State coming your way later this week as well. So stay tuned to all of our content. And if you want to get that premium content into the coaching search and for the rest of the season, make sure to subscribe to Sun Devil Source. But for now, that'll be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Chris Cartman, Noah Furtado, and Cole Bradley, I'm Ethan Ryder. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time.